You are Locked On Browns, your daily podcast covering the Cleveland Browns, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, everybody. We'll get to some news of the day. Um, yesterday's episode with John Costco was actually the 800th of Locked On Browns. Uh, crazy run here for almost four years now, or at least through four football seasons. Um, we don't get to do enough of these, and we probably should try to find a way to do a little more. So, uh, you know, as much as you guys are all around for the ride, um, the mailbag episodes let you guys kind of create the topics and things you can talk about. So Pete Smith is here. Uh, we got some good questions. Some of them certainly on the lighter side. And some of those I'm certainly looking forward to getting to. So we'll do that and more, all that and more as we uh, take you through your Wednesday edition of Locked on Browns. This football season will be different. And Pepsi is here to get you ready for game day, no matter how you watch this season. Pepsi is a refreshment you need to power through game day and become a member of the League of Football Watchers. These passionate fans are the real generational talent that Pepsi fuels because Pepsi isn't made for those who play the game. It is made for those who watch it. Pepsi, made for football watching. Go to madeforfootballwatching.com to check out the latest football watching content from Pepsi. Uh, Pete, in the last, you know, I guess 36 hours or so, uh, fullback Andy Janovich uh, back off the COVID list. Uh, today, the good news of Miles Garrett uh, back off the COVID list and, you know, certainly was missed, even though they were able to find a way to put together two victories in Miles' absence. Um, and this was actually funny because, you know, with all the social media posts today of, you know, all these guys from the South who are now playing for the Browns, uh, trying to you know deal with <laughs> snow removal and some people getting excited. Oh, well, it seems like Ronnie Harrison's using his left arm. Uh, about 20 minutes, that all got squashed to death, Pete, with um, Ronnie Harrison going on injured reserve, uh, looking at four to six weeks. Um, a safety was signed yesterday. Another one got released today from the Eagles. Uh, look, it's it's been bad for everybody to this point in the uh, 2020 season, so I'm not going to say, you know, for the Browns aspect of it, you know, woe is them or anything. Um, but, you know, Ronnie Harrison was really starting to establish himself. Great to have some guys back, but you certainly don't want to be adding more to the missing list. Well, the Tennessee Titans have a 240-pound running back that's really good, and Ronnie Harrison was one of about three guys that I trust to tackle. Um, so, no, not great. Um, it's It's weird to be i mean i i guess i mean it doesn't bother me but i i like the idea that we're talking about ronnie harrison could be back in time for the playoffs um <laughs> and like not know. using it as a joke yeah i mean that's it's nice I mean, look you're gonna really miss ronnie harrison for two weeks you're probably not going to miss Harrison for those last three. And I'm still working on the assumption that the Steelers aren't going to have much to play for uh, in that last game. So uh, I, I don't think it's going to be a big deal, but not having him uh, against the Titans and then not having him against the Ravens is uh, certainly a challenge and certainly something that, uh, that, that puts a damper on this thing because it's just the Browns, don't have a good defense and then you don't have a good defense with injuries to, to your, you know, a couple of major players, uh, especially against Tennessee and just how they profile against them. Um, it's, you know, we went to this season saying the offense is going to have to carry this thing. And we're going into the two, two biggest games left on the schedule saying the offense is really going to have to carry this. So 
It's interesting, but uh, just the, the 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 overall point of how valuable Ronnie Harrison has become in a short order is impressive, and uh, I credit the Jaguars. They are really good at finding safeties. Um, like everybody sort of laughs at uh, the Jaguars because they give up Ronnie Harrison for a fifth round pick, uh, and they, you know, hindsight says they should have gotten more. But they have two really good safeties. Like they mm-hmm. aren't hurting at all, and like uh, Gerard Wilson or whatever his name is. And uh, Major Wingard, one of the good prospects out of Wyoming, uh, we're, we're good. I mean, they're good players. Tough position to be in. Um, and, you know, it's – and now you think about it, ideally, you know, this team is down three-quarters of the secondary because Grant Delpit was supposed to be a major part of it. If you want to see four-fifths because the ideal Joe Wood scheme was to, uh, you know, play, you know, a majority of nickel. Um, and, again, we talked about this, you know, not having number 44, um, who's one of your more physical assets, physical players. It's early, Pete. And, you know, obviously, you know, we'll see – you know, where and when we sit down and actually record this pregame show, where we are at here. But I mean, getting Miles back, obviously, yes, that's huge. But I mean, what's your first inclination here? Do you try to take away Derrick Henry? Um, do you just try to, you know, basically base it up because AJ Brown is no slouch? Uh, you know, Corey Davis, there's times where he, he looks like, you know, the once promising prospect he was that went, you know, top 10. Uh, then there's Ryan Tannehill and his legs, which is obviously a concern. Um, just this is a whole different ball of wax here. And to, you know, again, put it, say, oh, well, if the offense could just give us, you know, the passing game from the Bengal game and essentially the running game that we're accustomed to uh, during the best of times, uh, you're going to have to try and do something defensively. But, I mean, I don't even know if you've – I mean, turnovers have been helpful, but the guys who were causing and creating the turnovers besides Miles aren't even here. So it, be, it becomes the tallest of tallest of tasks. Well, so, like, everybody's going to be uh, – you know, it sucks not having Denzel Ward for this game. Denzel Ward is an awful matchup in this game. <laughs> I can't think of a team where it's worse. It's like AJ the dad who goes out on the driveway and beats on his six-year-old in one-on-one and thinks like he's a man, you know? I mean, Denzel yeah, Ward, this stuff is not a matchup for him. AJ, War- AJ Brown is fantastic, and he's enormous. And this is really where the Titans win. And the reason they, they have a habit of beating the hell out of the Ravens is they force the Ravens to, to decide if, how bad they want it. And the last two times they've played them, the Ravens have turned it down in the end. They don't want to tackle A.J. Brown. They don't want to tackle Derrick Henry. Corey Davis is huge. Johnny Smith isn't small. I mean, they don't have small players. I mean, in the playoff game, the Ravens got so fed up, they, they turned it down against Ryan Tannehill. Uh, so, I mean, that's that's the challenge. They, they are bigger than you. They are stronger than you. And they are going to force you to live up to that. So, you know, that's that's another reason Ronnie Harrison sort of hurts. Um, but, yeah, I mean, Denzel Ward's not a great matchup for this. Terrence Mitchell will at least throw his body around and he will try. Kevin Johnson, you know, this is – he's got dec- decent length, but it's not a great matchup for him. So, you know, in, in many ways you're, you're, you're almost saying to your offense, put us in a position where we can make them one-dimensional, be that good. Or the other option is to – 
for offense to control the tempo and the clock. And in this case, that might actually be slowing it down as opposed to speeding it up uh, to try to help yourself out there. But it's just uh, there's no great situation. I mean, uh, Joe Joe Woods talked about how he was so worried about Deshaun Watson, and, and I don't know what he's doing against this team so shorthanded. I mean, this is the one thing the Browns really don't have. Their safeties in a perfect world make up for a lot of this. You know, Grant Delpit and Ronnie Harrison can account for your size when you don't have big corners. And now neither of those guys is there. And you have Carl Joseph, who's more of a box player, or at least he should be. And uh, that's, you know, that's, that's sort of where we're at. It's tough. AJ Brown is just one of the best in the game. Uh, Derrick Henry is obviously a challenge. Their offensive line, those that are healthy are, are tough. I mean, that's really where this goes. You have to find a way to try to get Derrick Henry essentially before the, the, the train starts going. If you can get him before he's sort of revved up, you've got a chance. And if you can win at the point of attack and limit him from that standpoint, I think you, you can do that. But if it becomes a, a thing where he, he's got, you know, essentially a, a runway to work up that has steam, forget it. He's going to blast over you and you're not going to have an answer for it. And this could be a game where, you know, it could be highlight runs by both, you know, argue, what, what arguably the two top runners right now. I mean, three, if you want to include Dalvin Cook and then Alvin Kamara is just a different animal altogether. But between Nick Chubb and uh, Derrick Henry, you could see just, uh, you know, just highlight after highlight of those two guys running the football. Oh, yeah. I mean, if you were, you know, as people always remind you how old I am. Yeah, when you remember those days where your running was featured in the NFL. Certainly a uh, possibility here for Sunday. Um, but it's, it's going to be the tallest of tasks, and it's probably going to be pretty big on the de- uh, the defensive tackles. Um, you've got to, you know, as much as we talked about Carson Wentz and crushing, you know, the pocket around him because he doesn't have the mobility, this has got to be, look, even if you don't make the play, but if somebody can get Derrick Henry off course two to three yards in the backfield, the one thing is, is, you know, he doesn't have the burst to pick it up that other backs do. He gets two, three yards on you. It's automatically a five or six yard run. I mean, because if he can get to the line of scrimmage clean, all he's got to do is, you know, get to contact and it's going to fall forward. And it's five, six runs. I think he had five runs over 10 yards or more last week in the, uh, in the latter parts of the game against the Colts. Just yeah, it's a d- difficult, difficult matchup. You know, that being said, you know, Look, they weren't all going to be easy, and you're not going to get, you know, uh, FCS schools every week. Uh, you know, got to be ready for the task. Uh, you are getting miles back. I mean, granted, Tennessee, you know, is is more, you know, equal in how they succeed on the offensive side of the ball. Um, still an opportunity. Maybe Miles can make a play or two. We'll see. But uh, tall, tall task coming Sunday in Nashville. We'll switch it up here, start going with some listener questions. We got some fun ones here, so we'll slip those in. Well, obviously, with some you know traditional good stuff from you guys, which we appreciate of for your Wednesday. Locked on Browns, Jeff Lloyd, joined by Sports Illustrated's Pete Smith. When it comes to getting or staying in shape, nothing feels as good as the feeling of accomplishment, of hitting your fitness goals, and feeling great about yourself. Echelon can get you there. Echelon offers the next generation of connected fitness bikes, fitness mirrors, rowing machines, and their all-new Echelon Stride Smart Treadmill. No matter what your favorite fitness activity, Echelon gives you a fun and challenging workout from the comfort of home. Their world-class instructors will motivate you with thousands of daily live and on-demand studio-level classes, 
always available when you need them. Unlike their competitors, Echelon is affordable for everyone. And one membership lets up to five family members all work out at the same time. Right now, you can try any Echelon Fitness equipment at home for 30 days. Go to echelonfit.com slash code. That's E-C-H-E-L-O-N fit.com slash N-F-L. And we'll go to some of the listener questions here. We'll start off on the lighthearted because this one's actually a really good one. From, let me just make sure we got it right here. At Parker 316. Pete Smith, if Jarvis and Mac were in a Bernie building, which one would you save? That's interesting. Um, I would probably save Jarvis Landry because he uh, he actually he, will produce sometimes. Well, not only that, but he's so slow that I don't trust him to get out with you know with without help. Uh if, if there's one thing that I've seen from Mac Wilson is he knows the, how the hell to get away from danger in a hurry. <laughs> so you got to make sure that uh, you take care of Landry. He's just, his hip is not good. He's just not very fast. You got to help him out. Uh, yeah. Uh, Mac Wilson would find the angle away from any contact probably. So there is that. Oh God, that was a good one. Uh, <laughs> How much do you think Freddie Kitchens coaching impacted Baker's development last year? Just thinking about Bill Belichick's quote, good players can't overcome bad coaching. Uh, I'll let you start with this one, buddy. Go ahead. Well, there's no question that it, it hurt. It's just a question of what that means. So last year, one of the things that Freddie Kitchens would do would be calling plays that they didn't practice. So you, you, when you do that, not only did receivers not know, which a bunch of receivers got in trouble for, not knowing plays that they didn't practice. Uh, it, they got it, thrown it, under the bus for it when they said things like, oh, too many wrong, you know, too many routes are being run wrong, which we asked ourselves and we questioned this week in, week out until the beans started to get spilled. Right. So when that happened, I'm sitting there going, well, you know, that's, that's problematic for the receivers, obviously. But what does it do to your quarterback? What your quarterback doesn't know or, you know, he can't anticipate or, or know where receivers got to be on a different route. So you're essentially guessing at that point. So everything's now slower. And what happened so much of last year? Baker Mayfield got in trouble because he was holding the ball too long with takes. And certainly some of that was his own fault because he wouldn't get out of bad plays and move on. But that was partly just the offense. I mean, you, you do that. You call plays late, and you don't get a chance to read pre-snap. You don't get a chance to do things like motion. You don't get a chance to sort of, you know, you don't get a chance to sort of know what the offense is going to do so you can focus on the defense. I think that's one of the biggest sort of sort of adjustments in, in the evolution you're seeing with why Baker Mayfield's getting better this year. So he doesn't have to think about what the offense is doing anymore. He doesn't have to think about what he's been doing mechanically. Uh, and that doesn't mean that there aren't examples of bad mechanics as, as I'm, uh, I see all, all over the timeline all the time. But that does mean that instead of diverting any of your attention to your side of the ball, you're entirely focused on what the defense is doing. So that's obviously put you, makes you more confident, makes you more likely to be successful. Freddie Kitchens essentially destroyed that aspect of it and put him in a situation where he's now second-guessing or trying to figure out what's going on in his side of the ball, and then partway through the play trying to figure out what they're doing, 
And it just causes all kinds of issues from that standpoint. So it's not like Baker Mayfield forgot how to throw the ball because he didn't. He can clearly do that. But the other things are what hurt him. And you started seeing so many of these things where you're like wondering what he's looking at. And, and, and with that sort of understanding of what happened, you go back and you look and you're like, well, did player X know what the hell he was doing? And obviously this is a huge issue. Uh, Antonio Callaway was probably the biggest example because he didn't know where to line up, um, let alone what, what was going to happen. And now the quarterback is sitting there having to fix these things before the play goes. So, it, it does damage. I don't think any of it was sort of permanent or irreparable because you're, you're obviously seeing him play better, but it, it not only became sort of a lost year, it became, you know, a bit of a negative a, a sort of getting him to, you know, get out of that and be able to sort of trust that his guys were going to know where the play was and what he could focus on. Um, and I, I think part of it, and this is maybe where, you know, for me, it's a little aggravating now that knowing what we know now and, you know, the heat that Baker took and look, some of it, you know, as you mentioned, rightfully on him and rightfully so. And also the fact that, you know, what does Baker say? And I, this still, I still go back to the Rose Bowl his last year at Oklahoma and he was sick for a few days. And then they finally, they just did a press conference with him alone. So he didn't get his teammates sick. And he's like, look, these guys aren't supposed to be answering my questions. I'm the quarterback of the team. You know, this is my job. This, you know, the responsibility for this type of stuff is on me. So who did the finger get pointed at mostly last year? It got pointed at Baker Mayfield. Yes, the statistical lines weren't there. But when you get into, you know, the fact that you had your two top wide receivers essentially practicing only on Friday, and then whatever they did on Friday maybe got scrapped after a drive, after a quarter going into the next game, and everything looked like it was just literally like it was, you know, designed on the fly, which essentially the way it went down, it was. Um, and I, I just, you know, I, I think for – it essentially became a, a lost year for Baker. But for, with that, it became an issue for Baker as far as his confidence um, because, you know, once you're turning the ball over at that rate, it's going to affect your confidence. There's no way around it. And the other thing, it was just a lost year on a whole for the offense where you had players like Jarvis Landry, Odell Beckham Jr., you didn't have, obviously, David Njoku for most of the season, but you had two great running backs for, well, at least for half of the season. Nothing was, you know, no cohesion was created. Nothing, you know, they didn't get better in any way, essentially, on the offensive side of the ball in 2019. And for that is probably the most criminal part in why Freddie Kitchens got shown the door after one year. From good buddy at Sam underscore panics. Um, well, we started Pete doing it. We started Browns coverage, you know, here on Lockdown Browns in 2017. Um, other than the 2018 Jet game, what was the best memory over the past four years of this ride thus far, my friend? Well, I guess for me, it's probably drafting Baker Mayfield. Uh, you know, it was a huge relief when they got Miles Garrett, but those are the two best in terms of, you know, just the best thing that have sort of happened. Uh, if you're talking about on the field and it's not, uh, you know, it's not that jet game. I mean, it's, it's, you could certainly make an argument right now for the, the Bengals game this year. The problem is it obviously comes with the, uh, the fact that Odell Beckham tore his ACL, which is not great. So, I mean, if you're just saying best, best thing overall, I would say 
uh, the draft stuff, but uh, certainly the Bengals game was up there uh, in terms of just being able to to really enjoy that and and you know see a breakthrough performance, see the you know the game winning stuff, see all the you know basically showcase everything that was possible with 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 what they have and give you reason to you know believe that this can can go. And so far since that game you know, the, the, the trend has gone certainly the other direction. I mean, you know, I don't think any of either of us were at a point where it was giving up or anything, but it was certainly a a thing of, you know, this is a game where we should see some, you know, see better play. We should see sort of the progress we should see, you know, just general improvement. And, and we did. So, I mean that let's put it this way. If Baker Mayfield ultimately, becomes the franchise quarterback the the jet game is going to certainly be up there but i think that bengals game is going to be you know sort of that that point where everybody's gonna go this is where it 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 sort of where we didn't have to look back and go look and look back and say that that that, uh he's not the guy or you can say this is when 2018 came back or whatever however you want to put it but that game was a a will hopefully prove to be the massive pivot point in Baker Mayfield's career. Well, for me, I I mean, for me, it's, you know, and I'll go with two phases. It is right now. And it is sitting down these last two weeks doing these pregame shows and saying, you know, Miles Garrett is out this week or going into the game this week and saying Miles Garrett's out. So is Denzel Ward. So is Sione Takitaki. And being able to use the words, it shouldn't matter. You know, this is where this team is at now. Um, you to win games is expected, you know, wins in the past. It was all right. Well, what did the other team do wrong? Who got hurt? Uh, you know, whatever. Um, but where they are now and seeing where the cohesion is from the top of this franchise to the players, general manager, coaching, head coach, coaching staff. It's just an absolute pleasure to do this every day because it's not just, you know, when you have to say, okay, well, there's 37 things wrong. I mean, who the hell wants to pick up a, a tool and even try to fix anything because the list is never ending. The other part would be 2018 and it would be seeing Baker Mayfield find his oats. It would see someone finally realizing that Nick Chubb was the best running back on the roster and needed to be, you know, the first team running back seeing Denzel Ward, you know, punch out early as a rookie, seeing miles Garrett get more and more established as, you know, just being a great player, David Njoku, Richard, the emergence of Rashard Higgins in 2018. Um, you know, granted, that was fun times, and it was seven, eight, and one, and it led to what was you know thought was going to be a really, really exciting 2019, which turned out to just be the you know ultimate just you know just absolute crap. But where it is now, the leadership, uh, everybody on the same page, no confusion, not having to call a timeout because your head coach is trying to chase down official to. Tell him, even though I know the rule says we can't review this, I want to review it. And just, you know, looking more and more like a functional product with a future. Uh, it's just for me, it's it, it just just really, really pleased with where this franchise is right now. We'll sneak one more in here. And Britt, I love you. And you snuck this one in here. But uh, Pete's going to have a retort. I'm sure he is. Um Pete, what did you think of Jarvis Landry's play on Sunday? Anytime you can have a battle of titans uh, on the level of Jarvis Landry and Luke Barku, 
I mean, you know, when you think, you know, the echelon of the cornerback position, I mean, Deion Sanders, Daryl Green, you know, Luke Barku, obviously. I mean, yeah. Well, at least he got a couple of grabs of his cheeks to say at least he got a hand on Jarvis somewhere during the day. Luke Barku, Cleveland native, go figure. Um, the uh, it, it was it was great to see Landry sort of do things that you know Landry can do. So it wasn't cheap. I, the first first reception probably was they they schemed that really well. He got twenty one yards, but over the course of the game, whether it was the touchdown reception or catching the ball in between two defenders or some of the extension plays, like you actually saw the guy that, you know, that, that people are constantly telling me is very valuable. That's certainly good. And I'm happy to be wrong for the sake of, uh, you know, the Browns benefiting. Uh, so it was great. I mean, it, it's, it's always nice when Baker Mayfield can pick up a guy like that and make him look good. And this was, you know, a great game for that of just a guy down on his luck a little bit, you know, struggling and Baker Mayfield says, no, no, it's your birthday. I got you. And he took care of him. And that's certainly nice. So I like the generosity uh, by Baker Mayfield, but uh, Landry was great. And that's, you know, the, the thing I would say, and this is what I wrote after the fact is, you know, hopefully this is a pivot point for him that Jarvis Landry for the first part of this, the, the previous 10 games was bad. Uh, and who's my source on that? Jarvis Landry. Um, if he then goes out and for these, like, you know, these, this game and then the five remaining in the regular season, he goes out and has like, you know, averages like 80 to hundred yards game. That would be great because it means the Browns are better. You know, if they have him clicking, if they have Rashard Higgins clicking, if they have the real MVP, Kadero Hodge clicking, that means the Browns are good, uh, that they are a more dangerous offense. And, uh, look, it's the Jaguars, and they're not a good team, and they were injured and everything else. But what you saw from the Browns was a more dangerous offense. I mean, everybody can is is picking on some of the throws Baker Mayfield missed. You also saw 258 yards passing from him, a pair of touchdowns, and over 200 yards rushing from uh, Chubb and uh, Hunt. And what you're coming out of that game thinking is that if that you know, if that if that's where this offense can be against the ten- Titans and the Ravens, and it doesn't mean they have to compile that many yards necessarily, but that it's just that threatening, then it becomes really difficult to defend, and you feel good about that side of the ball against those teams, and it doesn't feel uh, like you know you're hoping that the Browns can compete in this game. You're 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 going in thinking, you know, how are how are the Titans and the Ravens going to deal with this? And that's fun. Um, so I. Enjoyed it thoroughly. Uh, I, again, happy birthday, Jarvis Landry. I wish every day could be his birthday. Evidently, that's you know the one day of the year he's going to be a stud, and we uh, we can go from there. Um, the thing in look in look and yesterday is fantastic. I mean, Sunday's that's great, a fantastic day. But you didn't need it Sunday against it. Well, actually, I guess you did. You need it more, and it doesn't have to be seventeen weeks. This doesn't have to be sixteen games. Uh, you need it versus the Tennessees of the world. You need it versus the Baltimore's of the world. You certainly going to need it against the Pittsburgh of the world. And you're certainly going to need it for an opponent in January. Um, and that's just where it comes down to. And, you know, he does bring something at the receiver position that these other guys 
can't, just as some of these guys bring something to the position that Jarvis doesn't. Um, it's going to make for a lot of interesting offseason conversations, no doubt about it. Um, but, yes, 80 with a day on his birthday down in Jacksonville in the warm weather. we got some more questions. We'll get to that here. When we go to our final segment on your Wednesday Locked On Browns as Pete Smith joins your host, Jeff Lloyd. The improved Bill Bar is even deliciouser. There are now 18 amazing flavors, including nut and non-nut flavors, six brand new flavors, caramel brownie, cookie and cream, cherry barcia, lemon almond cheesecake, and carrot cake. Couple of your favorites from the original lineup, mint brownie, salted caramel, double chocolate. Bars are covered in 100% chocolate. They are soft and they are easy to chew. Bill parts are great for the health conscious guy or gal. Lose or maintain weight while indulging in a delicious treat. Bars are low fiber, low calorie, high protein. I'm sorry, low sugar, high fiber. They are great with the keto diet. The flavor profile for your cookies and cream bar, 17 grams of protein, 130 calories, 4 grams of sugar, 4 grams net carb. Go to BillBar.com, use the promo code LOCKEDON, all caps, no space, and you'll get 20% off your next order. Again, promo code LOCKEDON for 20% off at BuiltBar.com. Got a couple more here that we will get to. Okay, okay. All right, from uh, at Luckbuck. How can Stefanski game plan these next two games to help Baker pick up the blitz schemes they similarly run? Pete, this is one, and we've probably talked about it a little bit. Screen game. Well, you, yeah, I mean, you saw that against the Jags. I, I would like to see more of that. Uh, I would also – there there were uh, – have been examples where the Bruns were really close on some things that didn't work. For example – um, against the Philadelphia Eagles, they ran sort of a, a quick swing to Kareem Hunt, and the pressure got there before Kareem was sort of turned around, um, and, and the ball was sort of a little bit off. Had he caught that, there was nobody in front of him. Um, that was would have been a, a, a walk-in touchdown from like 25 yards out or something. So whether it's Hunt, whether it's Chubb, whether it's both, uh, I think there's a lot of opportunities to sort of use that to help negate the blitz. Uh, you know, they only have so many defenders. You have athletes at that position, and, you know, y- you can then win at that. I mean, Austin Hooper screen, the, you know, once per week is always good. But those are the plays that I think can be helpful. And, you know, there are people who don't like when the – you know, I've been a big critic of of – using young quarterbacks out of empty. I think Baker's at that point where he can do it and get out the ball quick enough that it, that it's, that it's worthwhile. And you can use that to, to do some things that uh, can negate that blitzing stuff. Uh, it's also a good way to sort of see what the defense really wants to do when they can't just key on the run. So those are the elements that I think can really help just the, the quick passing game that they've been utilizing uh, and some of the different concepts that they've been using to help him. But the biggest thing is Mayfield is doing a good job of seeing the game and understanding what defenses are doing and being able to get out of those plays or make them into positive ones that it's not as big of a concern. The good news is the Browns offensive line is obviously quite good. 
They're getting really good blocking out of backs and tight ends um, when they feel like they need to go that route. But, it, you know, I think in many ways we're getting to a point where it's, you know, you can mix it up, but there is an element where we're getting to a point where it's more beneficial for Mayfield to have more options than necessarily the blockers and not running this, these two man route type things. Uh, you know, there was a, a couple plays where, where Mayfield was going through his third progression um, and, and manipulating the defender to open things up. So if you can do some of those things, then, then, then it becomes more viable to, to, to spread teams out and punish them for blitzing you. Um, I think the other thing, and one thing I'd maybe like to see in this scenario is just having, you know, both backs on the field. Look, if Nick Chubb's in the backfield and Kareem Hunt's on the field in any capacity, as a defense, there's a lot of finger pointing. There's a lot of talking. Um, you know, Kareem, even if just to go to the backfield, even if he lines up at fullback, uh, you line up split backs, even shotgun. I just think you want to get yourself in a position where they can't just tee off and blitz at will. I think is, and if you have these two guys on the field, means either one of them is capable of running the ball. Means either one of them is capable of being thrown the ball. Hell, they could just both be blockers. Um, but I, I think you want to teams that are going to blitz. The, the key to taking away the blitz is to have personnel groupings that maybe they're not looking for, you know, and things of that nature. And that's what you're going to want to do is continue to mix things up. So you can't just get in the position where you know, all right, we're going to bring three off the left side. How are you going to handle this? Um, well, all right, well, you're going to do that. That means I either have Kareem Hunt or Nick Chubb to my left, which means I'm just going to dump the ball off to my left. Um, so, you know, I don't know. For me, those would be, you know, things I'd be lo- lo- you know, looking to try. I love the fact how they've used them to this point where, you know, hey, go get yourself five, six, seven plays off. Get a drink. Get a little air. Get yourself ready to rock. And when I'm ready to put you back in, I'll put you back in. Um, but it doesn't mean, you know, it still is not a great position to have the two of them on the field together from at poke tie 90 what can you say to these lifelong diehards who are afraid to believe we've got something special to build on here be it specifically about baker or stefanski or everything how is this not a 2007 2018 where we just get disappointment next year people Uh, i mean there's no guarantee of sustainability but go ahead well, I, I would say that they're they're far more fundamentally sound uh, at key positions. So, 2007, um, the big change was Derek Anderson turned back into a pumpkin. Um, but that the thing was, he was a pumpkin first. Um, he 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 had that great season. A lot of that was weird luck, uh, and, and obviously they had otherworldly production out of uh, Braylon Edwards, uh, one of the greatest seasons this team will ever see. And then Kellen Winslow. Uh, but your offensive line was outstanding. They lost, uh, I think, Ryan Tucker that that next year at right tackle, who was great that year. Uh, Jamal Lewis was really good uh, that year, but it was sort of like the last great year he had in him. Um, the Browns don't have a lot of those things. And the other thing that's been a huge difference this year is they've sustained injuries and they've played well despite. So they, at one point, won without Wyatt Teller, Nick Chubb, Austin Hooper, have won without Odell Beckham. They've won without Miles Garrett. They've won without Ronnie Harrison. They've won without Denzel Ward. 
So it's not as if, you know, everything had to go perfectly correctly for them to do these things. Uh, you know, I think if you're, if you are questioning whether this thing is going to work beyond this year, I think much of that has to be your belief in Baker Mayfield. It, it, to me, that says you don't believe it could be answered. And you can certainly make that case. But if you're asking me about Stefanski, um, and I mentioned this on, on Twitter last night, I think he's one of the top 11 coaches in the NFL right now, um, based on what I've seen. That's, you know, I immediately get, well, isn't that, you know, early? Well, here's the thing. I'm looking for reasons to criticize him, and I'm coming up empty. Uh, he has yet to waste a single time out this season. Um, you can you can argue about the challenge he made that that made the difference between like third and you know that was before a third and goal thing that they weren't going to get. If if he thought about that from the standpoint of I'm going to challenge this and just take it as a timeout, entirely defensible. Um, other than that, we haven't had a single timeout wasted because of stupidity or you know a lack of communication on the sideline we haven't had you know just bewildering tactical choices or you know wasting a timeout because we couldn't decide whether we wanted to go for it or kick a field goal on fourth down and then run a fourth and 13 draw they don't do so 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 much of coaching in in this framework is don't be stupid don't shoot you know don't hurt your team Kevin Stefanski never hurts his team. You can quibble about play calls. I, I mean, I certainly do. I I, I I get incredibly agitated when I see, you know, fourth and goal from the one and we're in shotgun and we hand the ball off and go up the middle. That drives me insane. It's a five-yard run instead of a one-yard run. Um, there are things that you can quibble with uh, as far as play calling there always are. But in terms of just – what is supposed to, what is supposed to happen on Sunday? And what is the operation? He manages the clock really well at halves. He manages the clock well at the end of games. He has a it, it never feels too big. So one of the reasons you never see Kevin Stefanski on camera um, is because he's not doing stuff where you have to look at him on camera because he has to figure something out. Hugh Jackson, on the other hand, was constantly featured on camera because he was constantly having to figure out what the hell to do. Uh, Freddie Kitchens in, in some similar way, like wasting timeouts to argue with officials or make dumb challenges or just not sure what to do. The Browns have it. And it's not just the fancy. It's, it's, it's the operation. I mean, he's responsible for it. He sort of set it up, but they, they, he trusts who he hired. He uses them to their strength and they have a plan of attack. They don't half decide and they don't second guess themselves constantly. Uh, beyond that, obviously have to consider the unique circumstances in which he got the job first year head coaching job or first year head coach is, is a really difficult challenge in the best of circumstances. This off season was anything, but in terms of having to manage the roster install systems and all these other things while having fewer practices as a result of pandemic concerns. And, you know, there were certainly, you know, that first game against the Ravens, the team didn't look ready because they weren't ready. But since then, you know, you have the Steelers game where you can question things uh, and wonder if they were ready for that game. Fine. But you can see the progression. You can see them getting better. You can see them sort of adding as they go with what they're doing to this team. So 
I, you know, I, I, I've stopped thinking of Kevin Stefanski as a rookie head coach as of game two. Um, that's how impressed he is. Him and Brian Flores are two of the most impressive coaches that have barely been at this thing. Uh, and I have them both as sort of in that top 11. I've got basically tier one, which is five guys. I don't care how you order them. Uh, Belichick, Tomlin, Harbaugh, uh, Peyton, and Reed. And then you've got that next group, and it's guys like Stefanski, Flores, uh, Vrabel, uh, Shanahan. I'm sure I'm missing somebody in that group. But just the, these are guys who are really solid and don't do – you know, either don't do st- stupid things, but they also occasionally they do really smart things uh, and that sort of help their team win. Like, I, you know, this whole thing came up because I, I can't stand Pete Carroll as a head coach. I think he's awful at it uh, in terms of tactics. He's he's good at sort of getting a lot out of his team in terms of that whole the culture thing and getting guys to sort of play above their heads and that stuff, which is super important. But just – in the first quarter alone, there were three three decisions that just were absolutely awful. Bruce Arians is an awful head coach uh, in terms of making those decisions. I think he's just crummy in a lot of ways. Uh, so that's sort of where I'm at. I think everything the Browns are doing is entirely sustainable. That offensive line is good. They've got a great offensive line coach. They've got some things that are – just going to be great. Miles Garrett is not going to forget how to play football tomorrow. Uh, you know, you've got all these guys that are just great and they've proven to be great over a consistent period of time. The 2007 Browns was a product in so many ways of a number of things coming together to be perfect in that one moment. And it was still weird. My lasting memory of the 2007 season is Chinadum Ndukwe, the other safety from Notre Dame, the guy I thought was better as a prospect, had four interceptions off Derek Anderson by himself. Four. <laughs> they played twice. It four. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I, I, I wanted, you know, there were talk that you could trade Derek Anderson for a first and third, and I was begging, begging them to take such a deal if that was the case because I didn't believe he could play. And ultimately that proved right. I, I think Baker Mayfield is so much better than, than he's getting credit for. And that doesn't mean he's great, but – you know, compared to some of these other quarterbacks that I'm seeing uh, play right now, uh, I still believe in Baker Mayfield well over Josh Allen, and I can't wait to watch Josh Allen on Monday night next week. Uh, I because uh, there are just too many decisions that he does that are just game losing, drunk driving quarterback plays that Mayfield doesn't make. That doesn't mean Mayfield doesn't get, need to get All better. Right, yeah, you have to cut Pete off here. We are getting short on time. It was a blast. Your daily delivery of all things Dog Pound, LGB on the LOB.